Well, I'm great Saxon Jacks. I'm Tom Howie. Mr. Dave's Coutine on the board. SP Futures up 750. NASDAQ Futures up 36.75. That's what we do. We pump money in the system and the market goes up, which is obviously good for my clients and people. I just, I, uh, I think we gotta get, somehow the day, the day this ends, David, we wanna be out. Now, when's that day? We're not, we're not sure exactly when that is, but. Anyway, uh, we have Mr. Lou. Mr. Lou, is he with us? He's there somewhere, I think. He, he should be. Hold on. All right. Um, the, uh, we got you, Lou? He'll be back in a sec. I gotta, you guys, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can now. There you are. There you are, bud. How are you? Happened? Happy What's snow. Going? I hear you guys are supposed to get, uh, Steamboat's supposed to get 6, 15, and 12, like in the next three days or something. No, there's a big, uh, it's been a big, big hit on the very western part of the, western part of the state, which is, which is good because that's where the drought was, early, but, um, you're not, we may get a, may get a couple of inches here in Denver. Need it, but we're not going to get very much. Um, you guys, uh, most most of the of the water content comes from snow, right? In the wintertime, or is it mostly rain? No, it's it's snow. And the snowpack, the snowpack, as I said, will will help um, a lot. But and in, in, in the part of the state that's had the worst drought, the so actually because we had a very wet spring, um, we're out of we're out of drought for the like the eastern part of the state, the southwest. The far west part of the state were in extreme drought and have been for two years, and so this snowpack will will help uh, alleviate some of that. Um, we're, we're still way behind on moisture, starting uh, you know starting in August. We, we just we had very few very few uh, you know major rainstorms or anything like that after uh, after July, and and so it's it was it's very dry. I'll take I'll take anything. Because, uh, you know, the, the more, the more moisture we get, the lower the fire danger. What is the, uh, I've not read any, anything. What, what do they think it's going to take? How many years of, I would probably say above average moisture to get like Lake Mead and Lake Powell and those places anywhere back to where they used to be? It'll, it'll take, I, I think, I think it'll take, you know, maybe five years of 120%. You know, moisture to get to start to refilling those those reservoirs. Well, um, and and I don't. That good question. I don't know what else feeds into Lake Mead other than uh, than the Colorado. I don't know if anything else feeds in there because last year, you know, the Sierra Nevadas have been just getting pounded, and and there's a huge you know there's a huge amount of snow there, and and some of that is is working its way into you know Nevada and. Uh, through Nevada and, and what is that, the, the Wasatch Range? That's up in Washington State. That's also getting a lot of water. But don't, um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how much of it's getting. Major mountain ranges that feed into the, feed into those, the, uh, those two reservoirs. Well, the Utah mountains do, but I, I don't think they in Colorado have been getting the same amount of snow as the Sierra Nevadas. And most of those no. on the, uh. The Sierra Nevadas gotten the most, and the, and the Wasatch Range and, uh, and Northern Rockies have gotten just gotten a ton. Um, is that La Nina, not El Nino, but La Nina weather pattern, and and really weather like Denver and and the, the dry areas here in in the, the central west. 
the moisture is, is basically a function of how low the jet stream is, is dropping. If it drops low enough, we'll, we'll pick, up, pick up a bunch of that moisture coming in over uh, Washington State and Oregon through Idaho. But if, if it doesn't get low enough, and then the stuff goes up to the upper Midwest and into Canada. Well, you wonder if uh, if Lake Mead and those places get get low enough if they're almost susceptible to floods. Evidently, I was was reading something yesterday is because so much of the uh, Hoover Dam is exposed, they're they're really concerned about any kind of stress cracks, but there's no stress on it. Well, yeah. they, they think it's fine, but uh, they obviously they're monitoring. It was designed for this, and when it, when it was when it was first built, it, obviously it was empty, and so it's not like it. But they're they're obviously you know they, they keep track of this stuff pretty good. I think so, there's still some people in the federal government that actually do their job. I mean, I know it might be a few, but <laughs> there are people well, actually I mean, care I about mean, that. That's, that's a legitimate point. The, the thing that, that would put the most stress on the dam is not continual pressure, but changing pressure. As the pressure changes, the stress and the stress on the concrete you know, lessens and then strengthens and then lessens and then strengthens. You, you get a flexing, obviously, that, that is going to facilitate cracks and heat. So that, that's actually good. Glad to hear somebody's thinking up there. Well, yeah, but it's a... Somebody not in public health, anyway. No, no, it's a... We were... Uh, it, it's stunning here in the last couple of days. We'll, I want to talk about the baseball stuff and everything, but it's stunning here the last couple of days now the the center disease control, Dave and I were just talking about, you know, walking in from the parking lot, that the, uh, this whole, this whole idea of, uh, you know, testing positive and all this kind of stuff, this is, this is not new. I, I had it, uh, a year ago, October, okay, and I, I, hit, I, I t- tested positive. I was, I was marginally had a headache for a few days. Fortunately, I didn't have a bad, bad bout with it. Uh, and, I, I went to the point where I wasn't even sure I had it, so I went and I got my uh, antibodies tested in, in, a, in a week, and of course there they were. And uh, but I talked to the, the head of uh, North Shore Hospital Group, their head COVID guy, and he says, "Well, I said, well, should I?" He says, "When did you get it?" And I said, "Well, I think I got it at the hospital last week." I go, uh, "You know, I've, I've, he goes, well, I've had symptoms for like a couple of days, just you know, a little headachey." He says, "All right, it's Tuesday." Go back to work on Monday. <laughs> You're no day. I said, should I go get a negative test for, first? And he goes, what do you want to do that for? <laughs> he goes, it's not going to be out of your system for thirty to forty-five days if you keep taking tests. He goes, yeah. your body, your body's going to fight it off. It already is. He says, you're no danger to yourself or anybody else, but these tests are sensitive. You're going to keep picking up bits and pieces because it doesn't, it's not out of your body. You, you don't, you don't flush the whole system in five days, but, but you're not sick anymore. Because the same thing as with like a cold or the flu. If you gave somebody a cold test the week after they had it, they're probably still going to register a cold on some tests, even though it's no longer alive and it's no longer hurting. Well, now it's a year and a half later and they're saying, well, you know, if you don't have any symptoms anymore, in five days, especially with the Omicron, go back to work. And now every every public union is pushing back in Chicago. What do you mean? We need we need like two weeks at home to be sure. Sure what? Sure to get a paycheck for another ten days or what? This is this is the result. You're seeing this changeover. You know, with, with people actually talking about the ineffectiveness of masks and admitting that masks are ineffective, cloth masks are ineffective. With, with people looking around saying numbers are not not key anymore we need to be looking at hospitalizations and deaths because that and hospitalizations mainly 
because that's our that's our major issue, and we need to track who's sick with COVID versus who is sick from COVID, and and make that differentiate. All of this is coming to the fore now because we have a Democrat president. I'm not joking about this. The, the mass narrative, the mass media, corporate media narrative that damaged Donald Trump at any cost has was has driven our public health establishment and the reporting on this stuff completely off the rails. I don't know if you saw the this recent revelation that that got from of all people Nate Silver, the FOIA documents that, that he was discussing, that show that Pfizer and, and a bunch of the um, epidemiologists that worked with it at FDA and and at NIH were pushing to stop them from releasing uh, or, or releasing the vaccine before the election because. It would have been heralded as a, as a triumph for the, the Trump administration, and they were doing anything they could to prevent prevent that. that. That is the most recent revelation. All of this stuff goes back to the fact that the press in, in 2020 was hyping this as a disaster, and any negative news was pushed, and any positive news was suppressed, and, and the the efforts to put control in place with masking, I mean, I mean, We're still there. I mean, all of this was directed at a political end. And so all of these narratives about the, our tests aren't that good and, and you could be getting false positives and all of this stuff was, was slanted over the course of a year and a half Specifically, to damage Trump, and now we, we have a, we have an administration that's come in that promised that we're going to control COVID. That was what Joe Biden came. Well, you on. can't. It's like it's like trying you're going to control a common cold. I mean, come on, why would anybody believe but, but, that? But you, you and I knew that, but no, and, and anybody with half a brain knew that. But again, the the analysis that said you're not going to control this thing because that would have damaged Biden's political message and made Trump less culpable. It was absolutely crucial that he be tagged with the deaths of you know, 400,000 people. Remember the death counter oh, yeah. CNN had? They kept that thing on all the time. I don't, see, I, don't, uh, I, I see the same things you're saying, I, but I, I, I what can I say this? I, I, I can, I see the same things you're seeing. I don't, I have a different view of why it's happening. I mean, I, I'm more of the, uh, the Cheryl, Cheryl Atkinson view, um, that the, that the press is, is mostly incompetent, that, that, that they're not, they may take these, these runoffs in different directions. I think they think it's, it's good for sales. I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they're trying to influence to the extent they're trying to, to market. I mean, I don't, I think CNBC, the idea, I will, I, I will tell you, there is no other reason for the health establishment in the United States in whatever it was, May of 2020, to come out and do a 180 on, on mass demonstrations, crowds, all that, as long as it was being done in, in support of a social justice regime. Well, there's, but, there's, but there's been influence from day one from various parties. 
I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking about the public health establishment letter that went out when social justice riots and, and demonstrations started after George Floyd. These people, maybe it was June 2020. You had a letter signed by over 1,200 senior public health officials who said, it's okay that these people aren't wearing masks and are gathering well, together in the middle of an epidemic because the cause is good. I, I, that was a coordinated I, 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 what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is things seem coordinated in the, in the press. I don't know that that much they are. I mean, I, I've, I've said stuff in the 10 years we've been doing the show and I'm not patting myself on the back but me and a couple other people on the show, you by one of them a couple of times actually, have said stuff on this show that somebody somewhere must be listening to the podcast or when we're on the air we're listening to that you know, going into like, I don't know if it was Rick Santelli I'm actually like Rick uh, well, somebody said something where I know <coughs> was picked up I'm sure it's not just us it was picked up and all of a sudden became like the slogan of the day. And, and I knew, this didn't happen a bunch of times, maybe once or twice, and I knew it came from us because it was a way you would put words together that only the people on the shelf on the south side would. And all of a sudden, something just gets catches fire, and it goes all day long. It, I, I don't, I, I, I'm having trouble with this, Lou. I mean, I, I, I know that you and a, and a few of the other guys, Kevin to a certain extent, um, believe that somehow or another when you see something happening in the press, that somehow it's 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 organized and there's there's somebody behind it. I don't. I, like I said, I'm a little bit more on the no, show. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that this was cabal. Although we know there was a cabal praying in, in advance of the 2020 election, looking to suppress news stories, and we know that because those people admitted it. Well, but I mean, I, I've been I've been um, pretty much ragging all week, and the the Fed. And how they've decided now when they give out numbers to people, they can give them out whenever they damn well please. They're not even on a schedule. And these are, these are tradable numbers, Lou. And yet nobody, nobody from Steve Leesman on down says, what, what are you guys doing? First of all, you, you stop giving the weekly money supply numbers just out of the blue. And now the monthly numbers you're supposed to give out on the 23rd and they didn't come out till the 28th. Well, Lou, I'm not naive enough to know that nobody's got those numbers. They were tradable numbers. That's why we were up so damn much on Monday. It's because somebody knew that those numbers were off the chart. Now, how, yep. not, not, not one person. This has nothing to do with COVID. <clears throat> now, no, one I'm person not, who not, comes I, up. I mean, so, so, in any event, isn't you're seeing the narrative change? Because, I mean, it sounded like, it sounded to me off the president's last press conference, he sounded to his typical doddering self. I could I listen to it. It sounded to me like he's given up. He expects us to understand that. Is, that there isn't a federal solution. There isn't. You know, Joe, there never was. There's a federal solution to stop the OSHA mandate, stop the federal workforce mandates, stop the CMS mandates, shut that stuff down at a federal level. Well, Lou, you can't have, knowing what I know, what's been told to me, about testing positive for 30 to 45 days after you have it. When this thing goes, you can't have a bunch of people just running around testing themselves every day when, when they had it last week. I mean, Becky Quick says yesterday, uh, or the day before, and I, I like Becky, she goes, God, what do you do if you're at home and you got a family at six and one person tests positive and everybody's going to stay home for 10 days? Everybody's going to stay home for 10 days. Well, you can tell she's in a, a, a different, a different, uh, shall we say money, money group than the rest of us. Uh, 
she's everybody's got to stay home for that. You need you need to test people like twice a day. So we got to go out and buy like a hundred tests. A hundred te- God, Lou, what, what what are we doing? Nobody's even <laughs> sick, and we need a hundred tests. What, what what is this? Yeah. I mean, whatever. This is the this is the insanity that is created by whipping everybody up into a frenzy over a disease that is serious, but is not no polio or smallpox or something else. It's more dangerous. This, and again, that was done as part of the we've got to get Donald Trump. Well, it, but that's, we that, that, was a, that, that, that was a long, that was a while ago, Lou. I mean, it, it's it's also sh- done, but, but, the, but the effects, the effects continue. Change. Well, we, we, as of, as of, you think these bureaucrats are going to step back? As, no. As well, of Monday, mistake here. We're as, wrong. As of Monday, as of Monday in Chicago, if you have a six-year-old, he has to show a vaccine card to get in a restaurant. That's insanity. That's insanity. Now, of course, I mean, last night I was with some fasc- people. That's fascism. One, last night I was with somebody, and one guy goes, another Notre Damer, he goes, I got no problem with that. And I'm like, they don't, they, they, if there is no, I think there's no question that the vaccines, especially people who have comprom- compromised problems, have made the disease a lot easier on you if and when you get it. I'm going to say when you get it. Uh, no medical reason to vaccinate children. No, no. That's, what I'm, that's my no. point. Hey, uh, Lou, um, but let's, this is going to be here and we can talk about it pretty much every week, but I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the baseball and stuff and also about what, you know, essentially what is going on uh, money-wise, which you know I'm also very concerned because that's almost like in the background now, but uh, the uh, here, here's a good one from a guy named, uh, God, why do I know? Oh, actually, not, I'm sorry, not a guy. Uh, Yilan Mui, uh, young lady, economists warn of inflation inequality in 2022. Lou, if there's been one theme of this show for the last five to ten or twelve years, it's that the problem with inflation is it's very uneven. <laughs> How economists have just figured this out? Lou, we're, what are we doing? We're, what are we paying for education? An analysis by Penn Wharton budget model. Who the hell has that? Found that low and middle income households spent about 7% more in 2021 for the same products they bought in 2020 or 2019, an average of about 3500 bucks. And guess what? If they're lucky, they only got a 5% raise. Lou, this has been, this has been so plain. It's been as plain as the nose on my big face for how many years? It's important now, or it's getting attention now because it could be cast in a racial, racial, uh, light. And that's, that, that's why, that's why that's, that story is getting, is getting legs. Yeah, but it's it's I not a story that should be getting legs. It's the truth. It's been the truth for fifty years, one hundred, two hundred fifty years. Well, of course, yes, but it's economic. It's not racial. It's lower. It's lower economic classes. There'll be more white people affected by this, and there will be African American or Hispanic people because there are more poor white people. Well, and, and there's more white people. There's more poor white people. Yes, I'm sorry. There's more poor white people. Not an adjective of. Well, I mean, there's, but, yeah, there's, 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 I mean, there's in, terms of, in terms of total numbers and. But if you can put a racial spin on it, let, let, let me go to baseball because I actually prepared. Oh, let's go. Let's go. Okay, how come I haven't? First question is: A, I'm supposed to go meet one of my clients at spring training. Is there going to be a spring? I've not heard boo since the day they locked everybody out. Is, is that just because it's on the back page, or has there been there's been no movement? Well, here's here's the deal, and, and I, I mentioned this when we last talked about this. The fact is that there's no pressure on these guys, and this happened with the NFL negotiations too. There's no pressure on anybody. 
to make a to get a resolution unless unless a the players are going to run out of money and that doesn't happen in baseball because the compensation is guaranteed or b you start losing the owners start running out of money which which is means you're not in games you're not uh, you're not scheduling games there is there is a real possibility that nothing will happen on this until we get to you know get to the reporting season where the hitters and catchers have to start reporting and and then the, the rest of the teams have to start reporting down in the spring training it's a very good chance that nothing will happen on this the pressure to, to negotiate, and then it all get done all at once. Pressure to negotiate is is not is not there. Lockout um, is kind of meaningless at this point. Um, I guess it was the owner's way of signaling, "Look, we're we're really kind of serious about this, and we need to think about it." Union was put out a, a fairly direct kind of attack on on the uh, the owner's proposals. And, and, and that's where we are. We're not, I don't think that the two sides are going to be talking seriously probably until mid January. Okay. Well, let's and, define, uh, uh what's the reporting? I don't know what the reporting date is this year for pitchers and catchers. It's usually yeah. February, middle of, it's like five days before yeah, the other guys. Right? I'm going to say February 10th, pitchers and catchers, and then the other guys, the 15th or 16th. Uh, define for us or for me, uh, <laughs> define for me and everybody, I guess, uh, when you use the term lockout, Okay, what what exactly does that mean? And, and now, if I'm if I'm coming off Tommy John surgery or something or a bad knee or whatever the hell it is, these these places, if you look at these spring training compounds, I mean it's not like a diamond anymore. Uh, these compounds, there's massive energy, massive. There's huge amounts of of people spend their rehabs and all those things that they let, the clubs like them to do that. At these club places where they can monitor them and so forth, and oh, by the way, you get the best equipment and all the other you know crap that goes with it. Uh, are all those places locked down? So if I if I had uh, yes. Tommy John surgery, I got to find my own trainer right now. Yes. Well, now is how dumb is that? Well, I mean, if you're if that's the leverage the owners have. They, but I mean, is it? But, is, but they're the ones. If 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 they're paying me. 20, 20 million a year, and now I'm, I'm hurt and I can, maybe can't rehab the, the, as best I can And uh, this summer, and, and you lose me for a year while you're still paying me. I don't know how brilliant that is for the owners. Well, the thought process, okay, so let, let's, let's back up. The priority of the union, the Baseball Players Association, has always been on superstars on the theory that if we get Juan Soto, you know, a half a billion dollar contract at clean six or whatever, if we get Juan Soto, a, you know, half a billion dollar contract, then this will go. This stuff will trickle down, and and it'll raise the it'll raise the, the compensation levels of everybody else because the star players are getting these huge these huge packages because of the arbitration. Well. Yeah, that's part of it, but but the other part of it is expectation on the on the part of the and sort of a of a numbing of the owners to big to larger numbers. That's the union's perspective. In truth, you know, the numbers look look uh, something like this. Um, the, the 
there's like a third of the players in Major League Baseball that had played appearances this year had less than six hundred thousand dollars. In other words, they made right at just about the the uh, minimum or uh, minimum salary. Um, forty six percent of the players, almost half, make less than one million a year. And so you've got this huge divide compensation between the superstars and and really the bulk of the the bulk of the players in Major League Baseball. Other interesting thing, again, I'm sure the, the owners know this, I assume the union does, is that you're sort of getting this kind of um, gig economy effect in baseball because because they're using more players for, for shorter segments of time or for shorter, uh, more defined roles in the course of the game. So this year you had something like 1,370-some-odd players that played appearance. That's almost a 20% increase over the last two years. A lot of that because it was because of COVID. Well, every 10 years, though. Yeah. So, so you know, I mean, we had, we had a, goofy year, a goofy year last year, but, but a sh- the trend has been, if you use it, this is especially true in pitching, but it's true in hitting situations as well. There are more and more and more players making plate appearances. There are more and more players playing for shorter periods of time. And that depresses the compensation because the owners don't have to, aren't going to get a pay for, uh, you know, big bucks for a guy who, who gives them a, a run for, you know, a third of a year, a third of a season. Um, so that's a, that's a factor playing in here. Was a factor, it was a, it was a trend. We were seeing younger and, and younger players getting, getting, you know, more playing time again, as the younger players are cheaper. Arbitration doesn't, doesn't kick in until the last three years of a, the first six, the, the, the fourth through six year of a first contract. The younger players are cheaper and, and the game had been trending younger, although it didn't last year. And I, I have to think that, I think that's a big, big, big factor. All of this, all of this, is playing into the the, the comp structure that that owners see. Remember, that's one big issue. I mean, the, the owners. Well, let's let's go to let's go to break, Lou, and uh, and when we come back, let's talk pretty deep on this because it is pretty interesting. Because some teams have uh, have different uh, views on the whole thing. You know, I mean, it's, well, it's yeah, that, that's the other that's the other kicker. Is, is focused on those teams that are actually way below the the average for. Concession and payroll. All right, but SP Futures up eight, and SP Futures up 37. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. 
Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howie, just Mr. Dave Scatina on the board. SP futures up nine. NASDAQ futures up 43. Uh, Dow futures up 43 as well. Uh, we have uh, across the rest of the world. In Asia, we got the Nikkei down 115.4%. Shanghai up 22.6%. Hang Seng up 25.1%. Um, obviously, Hang Seng's been a laggard worldwide. Uh, we've had a lot of problems with the uh, chip companies, and not chip companies, but the high-tech, and some of it are doing, some of it Chinese doing, but not, not so good for those guys. Uh, over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 22.1%, FTSE up 5, call that flat, Kakaron up 24.3%. As a way of review, yesterday Dow was up 90, S&P up 6, NASDAQ down 15, so it was a slow and... And a mixed day with the Dow, the big stocks in the Dow. I mean, they're just 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 popping along here. And then the ones that are, see the Microsofts, the people that are, uh, I won't use the term monopolistic, even though I just did. The big, the big, the big get bigger. And whenever people put money in, in into a ETF of any kind, a passive investing, I mean, nobody's conscious of it. But if you put hundred dollars into an ETF uh, through PTI or any place. 45 hours of it is going to go to the five biggest stocks. It's just the way the world is. Even if you think, well, I'm not going to invest in Google, I'm going to invest in the market. You just invested in Google, sorry, because um, that's because they're that big. Especially uh, Apple, especially Microsoft. Uh, bonds, down one thirty, down one basis point to 1.53 10-year, still over 1.5, which it hasn't been for, you know, if it stays over there, that's new, I guess. Uh, Bund, get a little of this, minus 0.19 only as it keeps creeping towards zero. 
Last time it crept there and it didn't make it. Went turned around, went back the other way. This time it keeps it's keeping creeping. This time Japan, same point zero seven. We've got oil down thirty seven cents, but seventy six nineteen. Brent down thirty cents, seventy eight ninety three. The oil pundits are continuing to push for hundred dollar oil this year. So far, I'm not buying that, but you know who knows they could be right. Natural gas down three cents, three eighty one. Uh, ben back under four bucks severely. It was, it was over four dollars I think yesterday morning. Uh, our Bob down a penny at two twenty five. We've got gold uh, down three bucks, but over eighteen hundred again, eighteen oh two. Silver down nine cents, twenty two seventy six. Uh, copper unchanged four forty one, and we've got our buddy Bitcoin is up one fifty five to forty seven thousand six twenty. David, we have force traffic weather sports. Bulls win again, huh? Yeah, the Bulls did win again. Um, good morning. It's uh, 6.37 in Chicago. Currently, the weather is 36 and cloudy. Today's high. It's going to be 38 and cloudy. Phoenix listeners start the day 47, cloudy, and they'll have a, a high of 60 with, with overcast skies. In sports, uh, NHL, the Hawks game was postponed again. They don't play till Saturday night, and the Coyotes are off, and they'll, they'll play their next game Sunday. In the NBA, the Bulls beat Atlanta 131-117 to win five in a row for the first time in four years, and the Suns, who are hot, beat the Thunder 115-97. NFL, the Bears take on the Giants Sunday afternoon, and Arizona's at the Cowboys Sunday. NCAA Bowl games, Maryland 54, Virginia Tech 10, Clemson 20, Iowa State 13, Oklahoma 47 with Bob Stoops as coach, Oregon 32. There's four games uh, scheduled today, bowl games, and the CPI semifinals start tomorrow. Back to you. So uh, Stoops hung in there to play, did the bowl game? He came back to do the bowl game, yeah, and his son scored too. His son's on the team, he he caught a touchdown. I don't, that's pretty unusual. I don't think the Irish want to. Bob, what's his name back? Kelly for the bowl game. No, he's, uh, I guess he's been, I, I was uh, watching some of the game and the pregame and, uh, he's been part of the team since he left. So he said he would step in after that, um, I can't think of his name now, left the, t- the coach left the team. So he actually was the head coach of the game last night. It's pretty cool. Who's the guy, the guy who left went, uh, where'd he go? He went to Southern Cal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so this, so this new guy came in, or this guy came back from from where? Bob Stoops. Yeah. Oh God, he was he's famous. I, oh, I know that. He was he's he's lives in he lives there. He's been part of the program. He's really also oh, he left. retired. Pardon me. He, he retired. Retire. He did retire. All right. So was so it'll be like if if the Irish lost their basketball coach and Digger comes back and coaches exactly. Again. Said we well, got exactly. one game to coach. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. That's interesting. Let me, let me finish. Let's finish our baseball thing, and then I want to talk about uh, uh, our buddy uh, Aaron Rodgers and his uh, his COVID uh, his COVID assessments. All right, well, wait, wait a second before you before you do the the uh, I just I have the the Cubs up here. I don't want to say why the hell I got the Cubs up here, but just what what Lou is talking about, just so we have an example. The, the Cubs have uh, um, what the hell am I on here? They have uh, the major league salaries. They have uh, well, they just hired this guy, Mar- Marcus Stroman. Who the hell is he? Some pitcher they just signed. He's at twenty-five mil. Jason Hayward is absurdly at twenty-two mil. Kyle Hendricks fourteen. Wade Miley, another pitcher they just signed. He's at ten. Ian Happ eight. Wilson Contreras seven point five. Jan Gomes, a catcher they just signed. He's at six. David Bodie's at two point five. Now we're talking nine people. 
the entire rest of the team is at the six hundred thousand dollar minimum. Yeah. So the so, average so would be. So just let everybody know that, and then some teams. I'm just doing a background here for you. Some some teams have had a history, Texas Rangers being one of them, that like to have a whole bunch of people in the four to eight million dollar range and balance it out. Other teams are perfectly happy with five people making twenty million, the rest of the people making six hundred thousand. And and it just it just the White Sox were like that a few years ago when they had uh they still had Tommy, they still had uh Paul Canerco, they had like five people making what, eighty percent of the money. Uh, so, so let me let me just run through some numbers for you. Baseball's a game of numbers, so if you're a baseball fan, you should you should love numbers. Um, the the union now is fighting about, and well, one of the things the union is fighting about is minimum salary. The minimum salary should be increased. I think it's five hundred eighty-four thousand right now. That actually, because of inflation, this just shows that inflation hits everybody, but some people are more affected by it than others. Inflation, the value of that is actually, in terms of $2014, in, in, when, the, when the league minimum was set, they've actually lost money. It's like... They, well, so the sports car has got to be way up in five years. Yeah, that's right. Instead of, instead of $584,000, they are actually making in 2014 $570,000. So, so I think there's probably agreement on both sides that the minimum needs to be, needs to be bumped up to, to something maybe above you know, above six hundred thousand. Um, but but one of the pushes that the, the club at the uh, union has is it it's pissed off about how baseball has has put this uh, competitive balance tax in place CBT that that in the union's mind limits the ability of superstars to make the money to which they're they're entitled and and it, to a certain extent this is agent driven. Um, and that that's just the that's just the nature of the the nature of the business. Agents who represent these superstars are pushing for these giant compensation packages. If you have baseball does not have a salary cap, and they don't have a they don't have a, a, a floor a salary floor either. So so you, they do have, however, this this competitive balance tax that kicks in, penalizing teams with with money penalties and draft picks. If they go above this two hundred and ten dollar minimum roster number, but but teams regularly do that, uh, they don't do it consistently. So since they put the competitive balance tax in place, no team has gone above it, you know, three straight years in a row. They will spend. Teams will spend when they see a window of opportunity opening, and they will throw money at, at getting good players in there. And securing good players for the for the duration of the window, and then and then after that they they start cutting people. They they let people go. The Cubs are a classic example. They let people go. They let their stars go, and they and they begin rebuilding. The union wants to penalize teams who don't, in, in the minds of the union, don't put out enough effort to win and that that tank. To get a better a better draft uh, a better draft position, because the union says that ultimately lowers compensation for um, you know for the rest of the, the rest of the teams. So the numbers look something like this: two hundred ten million dollars from the competitive balance tax, and we'll, we'll just sort of treat that as a as a salary cap, an overall team salary cap. The union wants that eliminated, 
and, and the owners have proposed in lieu of that instead of a two hundred and ten million dollar competitive balance tax threshold, they've actually lowered it by thirty million dollars to one hundred and eighty million dollar competitive balance tax number. So that that teams that go above spending one hundred and eighty million on their on their uh, players uh, will 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 be penalized. So that would seem counter counterintuitive to, to what the union is asking for. But the, but the owners then said, look, we'll make a $100 million floor. So basically we're going we're gonna to tell the seven teams that are below $100 million and the, and the um, four teams, I think it is, that actually pay less than $70 million in compensation we're going to tell those teams you got to bump it up. Otherwise, you're going to get penalized in draft picks and, and compensation. But well, those, those teams, those teams, teams you're talking about, those teams you're talking about are the the. Uh, I didn't realize they get they have a new name, the Cleveland Guardians. Yes, they they got rid of the Indians. I knew they got rid of the Indians. I didn't know they they selected a new one. A really stupid one. The Cle- Cleveland Guardians are 29 mil. Baltimore Orioles are 23. Pittsburgh Pirates are 21, Miami Marlins are 55, the Diamondbacks 66, then you ratchet up to the uh, New York Mets are 235, Dodgers 214, Yankees 211. Yep. Score White Sox 169. Well, I didn't realize they were that high, but they are. Um, I, you know, Lou, just... By the way, the Chicago White Sox are held up by the owners. Uh, as an example, because the, the, the union, as I said... Wants increased spending at all levels. They, the owners, the owners have basically come to the union and said, "Okay, we're going to put in response to your demand that, that we eliminate the, the competitive balance tax. We're going to we're going to say that more money will flow to the, the superstars. We're going to propose an actually reduced competitive balance tax. We're going to lower the salary cap, but we're going to require these other teams to raise their spending." Basically, what the, what the owners are doing is saying, we will agree to redistribute the money that's in play here between the haves and the have-nots and force the have-nots, the bottom feeders, to, to up their game a little bit. The union says, no, we don't want to redistribute the money. We want you to pump more money in. We want you to take the, take the restrictions off spending so the clubs can throw as much money at superstars as they want or need to to retain them, and um, and, and just that will result, result in more money being dumped into the system. I, I think the union's proposals <clears throat> are, are anti-competitive in the sense that the haves, the, the big market teams, will will dominate this kind of a this kind of a structure. Well, it kind of gets worse that if you have. A bunch of people that are that become free agents, and you lose them, like you, like like well, the Cubs did because they got rid of them before. But you get compensatory picks, but the compensatory picks are between the first and the second round. So they're right. real picks. The year the Cubs won the, I mean, where's Manny when I need him? But the uh, sorry, David, <laughs> but David David's not in it as crazy as much stuff as, as Manny is. But no, I'm not. I, I think that the year that the the, the Sox, the year the Cubs won. Right, the, the Sox were horse bleep. They came in last place, I believe, in sixth. They were pretty close, right, David? Yeah, they were. They were. So I'm going to say that uh, at the end of the day, because the Cubs lost a couple of free agents in the first in the first 
let's say, two rounds. Uh, the, the Sox had a better pick up top. In the first two rounds, the Sox had two picks, and the Cubs had like five because they had three, two or three of these compensatory picks that are between the first and the second round. They're they're real picks. So yeah, the Cubs yeah. ended up. The Cubs ended up with. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I appreciate the explanation, Lou, and I'm learning from it. Every time, <laughs> well, there used to be a guy. He's still alive, so he's still a guy. A uh, guy named Marty O'Connell, uh, I actually learned most of my option stuff from, but Marty was a huge sports guy as well, and he's a, a brilliant guy. He, was, he got his MBA from Stanford and his law degree from God knows where, and, uh, and he, he was, you know, a, if he if he had written on economics instead of being an option trading, he, he you know, he, he'd been up there, let's put it that way. And when this whole thing, we used to have discussions, and he goes, Tom, this is so far away from any kind of decent economics the way the, the way that this whole thing is set up, where the, a few players make all the dough, you try and get somebody. Because the dumbest thing on earth is in a competitive situation. It's like having one accountant available in a year where everybody needs more accounts. They have one accountant available, and the rest of the guys protected by accounting firms. And all of a sudden, everybody bids on that guy. Well, of course, he's going to make more than he ever would if it was competitive. And then the idea of having an arbitration after that, or if you're in there long enough. Everybody else gets paid on the guy who just got overpaid because he was the only one available. He goes, you couldn't, because this is what happens when two people, two sides have so much power. He goes, you couldn't write stupid like this. I mean, this right. thing is so economically screwed up, Lou. I mean, the, if everybody just... And, 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 you remember, you'll remember me telling you, when, when, with respect to the football negotiations, that, you know, all the, all the football players, 95% of the football players that I dealt with anyway, all those guys wanted was a bigger paycheck. Oh, they sure. didn't care about the benefits. They didn't care about the other stuff. They didn't care about what might happen tomorrow. They didn't care about deferred annuities that were being set up for them after they reached 45 or whatever it was. All they cared about was a game check. Is my game check going to be bigger? Then that's a win. If my game check isn't going to be bigger, never mind the, the risk mitigation that's going on down the road, then that's a loss. Lou, you're talking about 21-year-old males an extra testosterone and steroids. I mean, do you well, think you're going to get any piece of common sense out of that? This is this is the this is the client base that these folks are negotiating for. But they're, they think and they're the owners, bulletproof. The owners look at this. The owners look at this, and the owners the owners now have data. And this is this is something that that is is also driving the union crazy. The owners have looked at the data, and they say, on average, we're not going to pay for past performance. It doesn't matter if you were God's gift. To the, to the team from age 20 to 26 or age 21 to 27. At the end of that, when your contract is up, we know that you're on the downhill side unless you're some super guy. You're going to be on the downhill side and, and for what we, you want us to pay you at 27 or 28 or 29 as a, as a, in the free agent market, we can get four or five guys. Okay, but, but the, the, the first, Six years in in the minor league system is tantamount to slavery. No, yeah, it is. No, it's not. Sure, it is. It, it isn't. You heard Walter Brennan. You you now are the property of the New York Yankees, to Lou Gehrig. Yeah, so you can quit and do what? Plus, you're making plus you're making a minimum. You're making a minimum of six hundred thousand dollars a year at, at a time when you are worth fifteen. So the the game is when you're worth fifteen, you make six, 
and then when you're worth fifteen, you make thirty. That's insane, Lou. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is, this is what the union has negotiated. I, I'm the saying union, they're both, they're both idiots, in my opinion. Well, no, the union is not an idiot. This is, this is classic union economics. Union economics favors seniority and favors older, older workers, and that, that's across the board, and, and that's, that's very much what you're, what you're seeing right here, and what you're seeing play out. And, and, you know, the, the owners understand that throwing money at, at free agents when you don't have a supporting cast around them is, is pointless. And, and classic example is, is our own Chicago White Sox, who, you know, uh, what is it, 2014, they, they spent some massive amount, they spent like 130 million on, on free agents and, and boosted their payroll 22%. They had 73 wins in 2013. You know how many wins they had in 2014? Uh, 76. Yeah. You know, and the others look at that, and they go, this is not, this is not a function of money. It was a function of money than, than what the union was saying would, would make sense. But it's not. It's a function of competitive balance, and it's a function of what we've got on the roster. And if we don't have a supporting cast on the roster, it's pointless for us to hang on to expensive free agents that, that we're going to have to pay mega bucks because of the way the union is, is structuring the CBA, and, and it's close for us to hang on to. See, we're, 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 we're just getting younger players. I understand it, but we're at, we're at two different levels of the chessboard here. Um, from the economics of the situation, I would take away the, the uh, antitrust thing tomorrow from Major League Baseball. And anybody else, football who thinks they have one and act like they have one and never get challenged, and I would do that to them too. But the whole idea, you're, you're starting it when somebody's in the game for a while and he's, whether he's a superstar or not. I'm, well, start- I'm starting, I'm starting with the collective bargaining agreement. Right, I'm, I'm starting with, right now, with, the union would, both sides would agree. To. But the, but the collective bargaining agreement is, is a child of the fact that one of the sides is a monopolist and is okay, and the world is okay with that. So that, so the, the collective bargaining agreement is going to end up where you where you end up having a, a a a listenership a fandom that foolishly believes that there is free agency in baseball that it is for one of a thousand people the rest of the people there's no such thing right I, I'm losing you're losing me here I'm saying the, the bottom line is this you need unlike unlike other businesses a sports league needs to have competitive uh, competitors <laughs> at at all levels. Otherwise, the league falls apart. If you don't have if you don't have teams that are able to give you good uh, good games, entertaining product across the board, from Milwaukee to to New York City, if you don't have teams that can do that, you are going to lose your league because people will stop watching. I, I so, so a collective bargaining agreement in a sports setting recognizes that fact and works to leaven. The, the ability of and mitigate the ability of people to move to where they might want to move. Uh, my, my, how many guys do you think? How many football players do you think would want to play in Green Bay, Wisconsin? Um, a lot if 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 uh, they could make more money there. Well, but that's that's the point. They don't. They won't make more money there. How many? How many? You know, Green Bay is. You've been to Green Bay. Actually, I haven't. Huh? I actually went to Green Bay once. When yeah, I was about ten years, Green Day? when I was about ten years old. Oh man, you need to go up there. Um, you know, it, the opportunities to make money in in 
promotional and marketing activities in Green Bay are substantially less than they are in South Beach. Plus the weather stinks. Oh, I guess. Plus, plus, you know, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The attract, the demographic attractiveness or demographic attractions are significantly different. I, 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 I get all that, but, but what, what my, my point, Lou, is that, I mean, I always, I always come to this from the economics part, which I'm sure some people like and some people would frost them, but when you start but out to collect, an economics analysis. But I'm saying the, 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 the whole idea of the reason why, in my opinion anyway, that the collective bargaining agreement is, is as bizarre as it is, is because when you start, you start collective bargaining against one side which is, which has been given the right to be a monopoly, it's, it's, the, the thing is gonna end up looking like a camel and not like a horse for God's sake, and it does. But, but baseball, it, it, if, if you lift the monopoly restrictions, you crash, you crash the league. I, I'm, you don't end up, you don't end up with a league that's made up of however many teams there. You end up with a league that has maybe four teams. In there's, there's, I understand a part about, you know, sharing TV revenue and all those kinds of things, which technically are monopolistic. I got, I got no, I got no problems with that, okay? But the idea that somebody can't sign with the, be drafted by the Cubs, wander in as a first baseman and find out there's eight first basemen ahead of you, and oh, by the way, the Angels are dying for a first baseman, and I can't say after a year I'm going to go play for the Angels. I, that's insane to me when I'm when I'm 19 years old. I mean, they, they don't they don't need that degree of control. I don't think. Well, I mean, in that case, then there, there's a lot of the, the players' associations for baseball, football, hockey, uh, major league soccer is not really a fair comparison. Um, but, but the big the big three are all are all wrong. The unions are all. I mean, they could. They, if, if they don't system, care about those people. If, if that system was was as you say, those unions would be out on strike tomorrow. No, the the, the foot the football is a lot different, Lou. Football, there's seven rounds. Okay, and, and, and if you're not one of the top players, you you're free to sign wherever you damn well please. Baseball, how many if, rounds if are there? Like thirty. If you're not. Yeah, well, uh, there's more there's more control in baseball, but the trade-off for that, Chief, is that baseball contracts are guaranteed. Minor league isn't. Pardon me. Minor leagues aren't. Minor league isn't part of the minor league isn't part of the uh, collective bargaining agreement. Well, but that's my point. I'm saying I'm I'm starting from day one as a baseball player. It, it, you don't just you don't just get to. The uneven salaries between the twenty-five million dollar guy and the, the six hundred thousand guy—you don't get there just in the major leagues. You, you get there by starting out in the minor leagues, and how all of a sudden the, the the guy's got this minor league salary attached to him for six years. Look what the Cubs did to Chris Bryant—they screwed him out of a year. You shouldn't—you're you're, you're talking about your most productive years that nobody wants to pay somebody for after that. I get that part, but the restriction is in their most productive years. Well, and that, that's another, that's another issue, by the way, that the union is pushing. The, the length of time that you, before you get to arbitration and the length of time before you get to free agent. The owners have proposed, just to put these numbers out again, the owners have proposed that you, the players would become free agents at 29 and a half. and, and, oh, by the way, arbitrations, they become eligible for arbitration. Arbitrations would not be determined by an arbitrator, but would be determined by a statistical formula. Using wins above replacement as a as a value, 
and, well, and measuring measuring performance against against uh, a wins above replacement number. Everybody everybody I, swears by that number, and there isn't a person I know, even Matt Weber, that can explain it to me. I, I'm, I'm just telling you, this is what the owners have, have proposed. The union, of course, is saying we don't like that. But one thing that that locks some of the players coming out of the Dominican Republic and other places where where you can sign a contract, a legally binding contract at 16 or 17. They locks those guys in for like twelve years, so so they don't want to they don't want to sign that, and and MLB is saying we don't want we don't want to put that out there. They're trying to cut it back so that that in fact you would hit free agency earlier, again because that will benefit the superstars. The, the um, idea that you don't hit free agency for like ten years is is so is so absurd to me because I, I, I mean I hear you, I hear you. We got to go, but have a by the way, happy New Year. Uh, get yourself some snow. Go skiing. Be careful. Don't, you know you're an old guy now. You know you be careful. No bump. No no jumps. No bump runs. Just no, I stay off the train park. Anyway, you have a happy New Year, and uh, hopefully I'll see you this year. What the hell? I'm going to hold you without seeing you. It's no good. Trying, trying to get out. I'm going to try to get out to Chicago this year. All right, buddy. Take care of yourself. SB Futures up six. Nasdaq Futures up twenty eight. Come back, Mr. Danjanius. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom, Mr. Dave Scatine on the board. SP Futures up 675. As that Futures up 29. So we're creeping up, creeping up. Like, well, we weren't, didn't creep up on Monday. We were huge up. Uh, so now the last few days we've been slow and kind of crept. Yesterday was mixed, but we came, came up a little bit on the close. We have Mr. Dan. Yes. Dan, how are you, buddy? Happy New Year. I'm, I'm great. Happy New Year to you. 
Um, are we going to have a wild year this year? I get the feeling, maybe. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's going to be an interesting year, yeah. Um, I think we're going to have some momentum going into the beginning of the year uh, with the market, so I think things are going to we're, we're going to be off to a good start, I think, starting next week. Um, and I think this little bit of a Santa rally that we've had at the end of December is is just the beginning of that. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I do think we're going to have a good year. I I, um, I don't know that really anything has changed um, in our markets and our, our view, at least for for um, the economy or for the markets going forward. So I, I think it's going to continue to be strong. And and a big part of the reason is that um, interest rates have remained low, and as we all know, that's really good for the stock market. Although the Fed has come out and talked about a first hike and tapering and all that, it hasn't happened yet. Um, it probably will start in March, but our belief is that it's going to be gradual. Um, they're always going to be lagging. So, you know, a little gradual uh, increase gives companies time to, um, you know, to adjust and to handle it, and I think it gives investors time to handle it as well. And, I, and frankly, I think it's already built into the market. So, um the, you know the um, I think the tone is very positive there's you know a fair amount of money that's been accumulated you know we talked about this both in the in the stock market people's retirement accounts and in the housing market as well so that isn't going away so if we have a couple bad days and a, and a little bit of bad news hang in there because you know you have to look at the big picture and I think the big picture remains very positive um, there's like a lot of what you just said there's I think that there's well, there's there's three planes kind of fl- flying at each other, and I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, one, one of them is uh, we've got a Fed talking about cutting back, and in fact, they are pouring more money out of there than they have pretty much in any month since this all started. Yes, so yes. There, there, so there's a dramatic difference in what they tell us and what they're doing, almost to the point for me, Dan, that it's it's damn near criminal. I mean, I, I don't know how a, a, an elected official can do that, or how an appointed official. I mean, and you know, I've, been, I've been, like I said, I've been ragging all week about them missing dates and even the scarce, the scarce numbers they give us now. They give us a couple of days late, and unless you have a better call into those people than I do, I don't really like the rest of the world getting numbers that are supposed to. We're all supposed to get two days after the rest of the guys get it, and, it, and I'm having an issue with that, but. But again, no, I agree, I agree with you on that, and we're and, and if anything, I think because we've been in the business for so long that we actually were the ones who got the numbers early. You know, we had access to that information years ago, probably before anyone, and and that has changed somewhat. Although I do think that the you know there's been so much liquidity in the system that the, the rate of tapering is is um, at least in the short run is it, not going to have a material impact on the. Um, on the market, and we're just going to have to see how that develops. I, I think they, I still think that they should have done this months ago, maybe even a year ago. So a little bit more at the beginning is okay. I'm not too concerned. I think we'll get, cons- I get concerned once the, the rate hikes start. Um, but I, I still believe it's going to be a very controlled, um, sl- sl- you know, step process, if you will. You know, it isn't going to be, um, this this major increase in rates um, coming out of nowhere. Now that being said, um, what's going to happen to the market? I think the economy economy will will be tempered enough, so we're not going to see this acceleration, you know, this huge acceleration in growth. I think if we were to see an acceleration in growth, if we were to see, um, you know, say fourth quarter 
um, coming in a lot stronger than expected, then maybe there's going to be a, uh, you know, there's going to be a move, uh, a greater move upward than we anticipate, and maybe the market sells off. But I still think in the long run, we're in good shape. Well, we had money supply increase in November on a, a 14% annual rate. Okay. Nowhere, nowhere during the 60s and 70s leading up to 80 did we have a rate that high in any given month. Right. So this is after these people have said they're going to they're going to cut back on some of this. We had a 140 billion dollar addition to the balance sheet in December and I'm only talking to the 23rd. They got another week to go. This is after people are telling us okay, so so right now they're still doing even more of what they say they're going to cut back from. I mean, that, that that's a fact from what they're giving us. And I'm not saying, I'm, I'm just lobbing it out there. This is one of, one of the planes moving. The other plane moving is people are starting to get very aware that this inflation is not only hurting people, it's hurting people unevenly, and, 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 it's, and it's picking up dramatically. It's not going away. And these guys, instead of even being neutral here, they're in the, they're the and we have this election... 11 months from now. Okay, so if it was in March or February, I'd say, okay, look what they're doing. They're trying to keep the market together and give everybody the glad hand of how great things are. And they're going to be able to pull this off for two months. I don't know if they can pull it off for 11 months. I mean, if they if they keep pouring money in like this for another 11 months, I mean, every every statistic I see, Dan, I, I, I look at it and I go, this this statistics BS. I mean, we're, we're, they, we just came out with the 8.5% increase in, in holiday sales. Okay. Inflation, inflation's 10. W- what do we just do? I, I don't even know. I mean, I, I, I think we're, we're, we're even. I see Home Depot going up every day. I go to Home Depot and I see the, the, the price is up probably an average of 15% across the board from last year. So I, I don't even know if we're, if we're on foot, foot or horseback here, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I think the one, the one point that you're making that I, that I absolutely agree with is that the information, and it's probably always been the case that the information can be, numbers can be, um, presented that don't totally, ac- you know, aren't totally accurate, um, in terms of the true picture, and especially with retail sales for, you know, the Christmas period. And we really have to wait until January before we see the actual numbers. But for those people who are paying attention to the numbers, and I really don't think investors are paying attention like we used to. I, I think we've already um, built in some, you know, some uh, concern about the numbers, and we have to come up with our own um, understanding. But when you see on one, you know, you see on one uh, news clip or one report, you know, retail sales were very strong, and you see, you know, you flip the channel or you turn the page, and all of a sudden you see an article talking about how, you know, it was a very weak season. So you can you can smooth the numbers, or you can you can take certain certain. Um, aspects of the numbers, you know, like you said, the only time that you're really going to understand it is, is if you get out there and go to Home Depot, or if you get out there and go to the grocery store, you're going to see this. We've been talking about this for quite a while, and I've been talking about inflation being part of the picture for quite some time, and if you look at just the stock market being, you know, at all-time highs, and you, you have to see that there's some inflation in there. If you look at housing prices and rent being at all-time highs, you've got to see the inflation in there, and that, that carries into other other areas as well. Um, I keep saying, and I'll say it again, because I, I talk to say it every week, but I think it's really important to know, wage inflation is still the number one concern because that is what's going to keep it. Um, and we do have wage inflation as well right now, and I think that's only going to continue. 
and I think that's going to be permanent. I don't think that's going to be something that um, will will change the way, say, commodity prices change based on supply and demand. So food and oil prices will change um, based on supply and demand, but you're not going to hire people, especially at a high, you know, at, at middle management and executive levels, and then suddenly cut their pay, um, you know, when when inflation subsides. So there will be there's still a huge amount of um, of need for uh, good skilled labor, and there's you know it's probably the number one concern that I, I hear from CEOs that labor, um, you know, the shortage of labor, um, the the environment that we're in really trying to change, and I, I try to get my head around it and understand the whole picture, and it's a difficult one, I think, to really totally understand or appreciate, but I think as more people get back to working and as these positions are filled, we're gonna, things will stabilize, but in the meantime, I think wage inflation is going to continue to drive overall inflation. Yeah, I have a question for you. I, this is one, I, I can't even argue with you on this one. I just want, I want an answer because I honestly don't know. Um, it strikes me that an awful lot of people, and this happens, you know, all the time, are people making you know, two million dollars a year on TV, basically whining about having to pay somebody they used to pay ten dollars an hour. How they ever got away with that for a decade, I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and now they're now they're paying the guy twelve fifty and or thirteen and they're sniveling like you know they're like like whatever. Uh, I, I have no I have no sense of honestly don't. I mean, I wish I did. That's why I'm asking the question. Um, I have honestly no sense of what the sixty to seventy to eighty thousand hour mid. Oh, I guess that's not even mid-level, lower to mid-level management. What is the status of their raise this year? I mean, they're, they're not, are they getting 10% or 5 or 3? I, I, I know a few people like that, and I don't, I don't think any one of them's gotten, you know, they're rushing at them with a 10% raise. I mean, if, if they're threatening to leave, maybe, but I, I have no sense, since maybe because they've been at home and I don't even talk to these people anymore, I have zero sense of, of, of what the wage pressures are for those kinds of people. I know a whole buttload of them got laid off. Early the the mid mid management the low mid to lower yes. white collar. I don't know if they have any any ability to demand. Yes, the person making ten used to make ten. If if you're a cook in some restaurant, you're able to get eighteen now, which you should have been getting twenty years ago, in my opinion. But absolutely. But, but other than that, I don't have any sense of. Everybody talks about the person at McDonald's and the person who five years ago was making fifty five sixty grand. What are they making now? I have no idea. The people who were, you know, the, that I would say those those wages have gone up, and I think they've gone up everywhere from middle management to, you know, say think entry level positions, you know, for people coming out of college or or coming out of uh, graduate school. Those wages have gone up tremendously, and, and the other thing that's changed from when we were younger and you thought about working for one organization for the rest of your life, and the organization was going to take care of you. You know, in terms of benefits and all that, and and you know that would be your way to move up the ladder. Um, that whole environment has changed, and what what's happened, I think, in recent years is people in those you know lower to middle management positions have had to move to other organizations, just as the as the cook you were talking about had to move to get an increase. Um, and their their mindset is very different. It's not as there's there's not as much loyalty on either side. Um, of the aisle, and you know whether the whether it be the company or the employee, and they, they know that they can go someplace else. So it's it's actually kind of built into the the culture of of you know career you know your career path today, where it certainly was very different than we were when we were starting out. So that 
I think that has an impact on it, and I don't, I'm not sure who to blame for that or, or why that problem is. I think companies have kind of lost sight of the, you know, the, the importance of loyalty and all that, and, and especially in the tech space where, you know, people will switch jobs every six months to make a little more money, and, and they do, you know, they do have this sort of maneuvering that they, I don't want to use the word play, I'm not going to say play games, but there is a maneuvering that I think a lot of the talent has with the management to be able to say, you know, hey, you're not going to give me this raise. I'm going to go elsewhere. And and right now, elsewhere is paying more. <laughs> they have to pay more to attract the talent. So in this environment, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that the way that you get to higher wages is through, mostly through actually changing jobs or taking well, new positions that are being added. I think you're absolutely um, correct there. there's a fair amount of... Um, uh, slack out there, if you will. I mean, there's a lot of jobs that need to be filled. Well, Dan, I think you're 100%. At all levels. And so to answer your question, yes, I think those people are having opportunities that might have been, you know, in the 50, 60 range that now they're looking at, you know, 70 to 100 um, and maybe with better benefits. Um, so I guess it depends. It's, it's sector specific, but it seems to be across the board in different fields. It's not strictly in tech. You know, it's in our industry, um, it's in, um, you know, the legal world, it's in the, certainly in the medical world, that's one that, that's easy to understand. I mean, that might be a good example if you think of, you know, nurses' salaries are, you know, there's been, there's been, there's always been a shortage of nurses and there's always been a high demand, but nurses' salaries have gone up, um, you know, considerably and, they, and as they should, you know, for the work they do. But, but I think the point I'm making is that I, I think inflation will continue. And I and I do think the wages, you know, the wage side of it is really what's going to drive this. And I do think there has to be an exogenous factor that comes in to change well, this. Two questions there. I'm feeling like the government, the administration, has sort of stepped back a little bit. Um, they don't, you know, and I'm hoping that that continues. And I believe that'll continue into the into the new year. That there's not going to be anything forceful coming out of the current administration that's going to disrupt um, the financial markets. So there's, if anything, I think there's going to be more, a continued sort of pullback, or, or you know, I don't think that this administration is going to is going to um, push this issue too much because they have too much uh, to lose. They already well, lost a lot, I think, in terms you, of. Well, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. More I, to lose at this point. You're absolutely right. I, I uh, well, I got about three comments on what you just said because what you said was pretty, you know, it was pretty informative. I, I, uh, the, the idea that, you know, you just mentioned, you didn't, you didn't use the word, but the, the great resignation. Yes. I think the reason why people are leaving is because they're not getting the raises where they are, which is kind of weird. You should, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to leave to get a raise. I mean, if you're worth it, which I think most people are, right? You know, right. I, um, when you talk about the, uh, this is my biggest concern with the Fed. By the way, I have to ask you, uh, some gold questions regarding, uh, my w- worst investment this year, well, I mean, the one that didn't really go anywhere, I made a little bit maybe, uh, maybe, uh, is in gold and silver. Should I bail or should I hang out or hang in for the, for the next year? I'll, but leave that one for a second. See, my, my, my concern, uh, has been all along, you know, Dan. It's why we, we're not, we're, we absolutely are in agreement on where we're at and where we're sort of heading. The speed at which we're going to get there, you're a little more confident that these these creatures can stay sort of in control. See, my, my view is the current state of the economy and the, and the markets has been in constant, they've been disrupting it for 12 years. 
I mean, it, it should, there's no way on earth that we should be at this, this, this kind of interest rate, this kind of everything. It, it has been disrupted to the point where it, it's, it would never be here at equilibrium on its own. I mean, you would, you, if you said that the Fed was never going to buy another 10 year bond, there's, there's no way on earth that rate doesn't jump a percent and a half in the next two months or, or, or faster. I don't think. So they, so the question is how long are they going to continue to disrupt? I think. Uh, and which is, a, which is a lot different. I mean, a lot of people think this is the status quo. It isn't. It, if, if it was, the Fed wouldn't have to pop out a hundred billion dollars a month just to keep it the way it is, right? They, I mean, if they, st- if they stop buying right now, I, I can't even imagine where these, where these numbers would go instantly. I mean, uh, and the idea of a quarter point raise in June and maybe one in August, yeah, that's off the table. It would be a, it'd be a point or two next week. I mean, I, I mean I, we're not even on the same. I mean, you're 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 given the the intelligent approach that they'll be able to to do this and they'll be able to somewhat and stay in control and do this gradually. I'm saying that there's going to come a point if they don't start doing that, which they haven't, even though they said they're going to. If they don't start pretty damn quick, they're not going to be able. It won't be the orderly retreat. I don't think, and we might be past that point, in my opinion. But I hope you're right, and we're not. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you, and I, and I definitely agree. I think that's, a, that's definitely, like, that perspective is just a little different. I think the enthusiasm that I have for longer term, not so much for short term, but longer term, if, if we're looking at least out over the next year, the next couple of years, I think the enthusiasm I have comes comes a fair amount from the amount of money that is in the system that I think it's going to take a time, you know, it's going to take some time to spend that. And that includes, like I said, inflated um inflated stock market, you know, inflated um, retirement accounts. I mean, at some point, um, there may be a little bit of a sell-off. The one sector, I, I was going to just mention that, if you look at how the market is done in 2021, you know, the S&P is up about 29% year-to-date. Um, but if you look at the Russell, and, you know, which is up less than 14, you know, small cap um, index is up less than 14% for the year. And interestingly, I see that as an opportunity in small cap, and that tends to be where we focus on the on the equity side. So I think there's opportunity. So that kind of goes against, you know, if you know if there is some concern that comes down the road, or people would necessarily move into um, you know smaller, less liquid names. Um, but I do think that's the way things happen. I think with the momentum that's driving. Um, spending, and I think we're going to see that when people come back from the you know their two week. Well, Dan, I, I know, love. Right, that, I, I think we're going to see some spending um, as people realize. Look, you know, we did our rebalancing, and we're looking pretty good here. I mean, we're looking pretty good for you know overall performance. Let's keep going. And well, they're going to. I don't want to use the word ignore. I'm going to pay attention to what's going on, but they're not giving it as much credibility. Oh, it's they're not they're, giving it's, the Fed. I think the Fed has lost some of its credibility. And if companies are able to to adjust. Um, I think that's the most important thing, whether it be passing through costs or when you get good management teams. A good management team is going to hold on to its employees. So there are plenty of companies out there that have a better, um, you know, have, we're, we're, this, is how, this is how we make money. This is how we, what we believe is the key. A good management team is going to keep the best employees or attract the best employees. Oh, don't disagree. I, I guess uh, and what you just said is, is interesting because, Believe it or not, I, I do agree with you on a lot of stuff, Dan. Uh, a lot of the money I put to work this week, matter of fact, I've got some stuff to put money to work today, I'm probably going to put it in the Russell. 
I've been putting some in the S&Ps uh, because, you know, people had, had the nice return this year, and you, I don't think you can ever really go wrong by uh, putting money in the S&P for, for people, uh, um, especially if it's protected, let's put it that way, in my opinion. But um, my concern with what, what you just said, because I'm doing the same thing. Every time I do something, I have this personality. I say, okay, what could go wrong? It looks good. It immediately, okay, what what, what could screw this up? Um, and what, I, I don't know, Dan, that if you look at some of these, these stocks and you see which ones that are moving every every day, I mean, it, it is obvious to me that your, your lows in your Home Depot are way more monopolistic and have way more pricing power than a general retailer here. They're doing way better than Walmart right. or Amazon. And now the question is, uh, the, the small caps, if this keeps going with the money coming in and the, the, the difference in who can get money at a reasonable price and all that kind of stuff, I don't know that the small caps ever catch up with the big companies unless somehow or another at a federal level we decide we're going to stop giving these people everything because we are. And Microsoft, in my mind, I mean, I can't, you know, to a certain extent I can't stand the place because I think they're the, the biggest silent monopolist in our lifetime. But by the same token, they can raise prices on any, any damn thing they want, and nobody cares. I mean, it's, and, I, and I don't, I don't know that the small cap guy ever, ever in this day and age, ever, ever catches up. I mean, to, no, so on the one hand, I'm doing just what you say. Uh, the small cap looks to me to be the buy here, relatively, and yet all of a sudden, in the back of my mind, I'm going, wait a minute. The reason why they haven't performed, here's the reasons. They're real, and they're not changing. Yeah, I, and that I agree with, but I think um, maybe first to answer your question on gold and silver, absolutely keep them in the portfolio, especially if they haven't performed as well. So they're, they're, their valuation is lower than a lot of the equities. So I think they're they're a good um, diversifier, and you know, so I would I would agree. And I'm I'm doing the same thing. We actually added a little bit as as they've fallen um, this year. Because are you, are you buying the metal itself, or are you buying the, the gold miners index, or both? We're we're buying the the both, but predominantly the metal. Okay. The ETF. The, um, but um, one one thing that I want to mention that I think is a is, is an important thing to understand, and, and it, it has to do with small caps, and it has to do with where to put your money um, now. And high yield bonds, which I've been pushing from the beginning, and not only because it's my background from going way back to thirty five years, but um, high yield had a good year, um, a, a very good year relative to the other sectors of fixed income. And a very good month in December, um, just in the month of December alone, high yield bonds are up 2%. The thing that my indicator, just because of the way I was sort of raised, if you will, from the very beginning um, of risk, when, and when you're looking at where we are in the cycle, and this is where I think bond managers, and especially high yield bond managers, have a little bit of advantage over equity managers, that we we look at the spread, and the spread is, as you know, is the difference between the yield on the high yield bond and the yield on the treasury of a comparable duration. And that, when we started talking earlier this year, and I said high yield still has a way to go, it was, that spread was around 300. Now it's at 275. But historical, if you look at where it was, the tightest spread historically was 212. So if you're just looking at the high yield market and you're looking at the spread as an indication of valuation, we still have a ways to go. Before we hit the record, we haven't hit the records like we have in the in the S P um, in the high yield market. So I think the market has caught up a little bit in December, um, and as short rates go higher, that's one way to narrow the spread. 
So it's not, it could be either from the, high, the yield and the high yield bond coming down, but can also be from short rates going higher if you're on the short end like we are. So we've had a really good month and a good year um, with this focus. But the point I'm trying to make here is that high yield is also considered in the fixed income space the risky asset category. And I think what ends up happening towards the end of a cycle is the riskier asset categories tend to perform the best before you see that sell-off. So there's still room in small cap, there's still room in high yield. Those are the areas that we're focused on. But we're investing, I would say, somewhat conservatively. We're, we're, we're choosing the right places to be. And, and in the case, of, as I mentioned earlier, we're choosing those management companies that we really believe in that are really strong um, going forward. And here's one other thing that I think kind of sums this all up, and, and it's my best pick for the next year, um, is Thunderbird, which is a small company um, in the media space. And one thing that they can say that they do really well is they have no corporate debt. So they're not going to be as directly impacted by um, an increase in rates. They are not on a super fast track of acceleration and growth. But they are growing, and they're and they're doing extremely well. And you've got a superior management team that's attracted the top talent, and continues to. And so they're just kind of at the right place at the right time. And I think you know if I could pick an, a stock, a small cap, micro cap stock that I think has a lot of room to go next year, even after being up forty five percent this year, I still think they have a lot of room to go. Um, it's because of how they're positioned, both management and their balance sheet. So you don't. So mean, I think the companies that have position whose balance sheets are not going to be as greatly impacted by rising rates. Well, then we got we got a dash here, but utilities. To, um, this is a, this is this is a big time compliment for it. What, 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 this is a horrible way to say it from a south sider. Um, I think what what you do in the strength and what I've learned a lot from you this year. And by the way, thank you very much for a, a, a good year. Hopefully, we do the same thing for many years to come. Um, I'm going to say that uh, you you cheat a little. In the, in the in the sense that you look for somebody that everybody says is in the the high risk category, but then you find the guy that doesn't really have any risk. Right? Is that yeah. so? So you're you're, you're going to price like a, a high risk guy, but you find a guy that isn't really high risk, and just say you shouldn't be priced this way. That right. that, that to me is Absolutely. spectacular. And, you know, I think a lot of that comes. I think this is where we really do have you know in our field, we really do have an advantage from having you know decades of experience, and it's. You know, I know when I was new in the field, I, my performance was really good, but I, I still think that the longer you're in this business, the more things start seeing, you know, familiar, and we have to kind of go back to a time when the environment was similar. But there are certain things that are, that are stuck. A good management team, when you're looking at whether it be an equity or high yield bond, is really going to make or break a company, and they're going to make or break a company when that industry is out of favor. They're going to be the survivor when the industry's out of favor. So I think the... You know the experience of, of knowing how to talk to management and, and also learning from management, um, and then watching them over time and focusing a little less on quarter by quarter results, but focusing more on what they're doing big picture to handle the upcoming environment. Oh, I agree, and, Dan. Happy New Year, buddy! And uh, thank you. Don't get too wild this weekend. I know how you can be. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank that, you. What, kind, what kind of New Year's Eve are we going to have? We got to work all day, for God's sake. Right. I mean, it's, it's it's not exactly the best of, on this end. Uh, maybe I'll make the Australian New Year's. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Take it. SP Futures <laughs> up six. All right. Have a good one. 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 Have a good
How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, welcome back, Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tamales, Mr. Dave Scatino on the board. SP futures up 675. Nasdaq futures up 24. We leaking up here, but slow, but leaking up. Dow futures up 31. Individual stocks in the Dow. We had American Express up a buck 32. Panels up a buck forty nine. Uh, United Healthcare up a dollar ninety two. Everybody else is pretty much all green. The only one down, Boeing's down eighty six cents. No big deal there. And three M's down a penny. I don't think that's a big deal either, David. Over in Asia, we've got uh, Nikkei down one fifteen point four percent. Shanghai up twenty two point six percent. Hang Seng up twenty five point one percent. We're in Europe. I'll try to get some totals on these for the year tomorrow, maybe. Dex up thirty two. Uh, 0.2%, FTSE up uh, 0.28 cents, call that flat. CAC ran up 21.3%. Yesterday, U.S. Dow was up 90, S&P up 6, NASDAQ down 15. Uh, bonds were unchanged at 1.54, 1.54, 
above 1.5 for a while now. Uh, Bund, uh, minus 0.19. Uh, Japan, positive 0.07. So not much change in the bond market today. Oil down 39 cents, 76.17. Brent down 27 cents, 78.96. Natural gas back under 4 bucks. Uh, down 8 cents, 377. As this thing remains very, very volatile. Uh, I mean, more than I've ever seen it, man. I say that every day, but it's, it's true. And it's a huge contract. And boy, if you traded that right this year, you had a good year. Wrong? Eh, not so much. Our Bob down five cents, uh, 226. I'm sorry, down, down half a cent, point zero five cents to 226. We've got gold down 520 right at 1800. Silver down, up three cents to 2289. Copper unchanged at 442. And we have Bitcoin up 26 bucks, 47,491. David, what do you have for us, Traffic Weather Sports? By the way, the, are the fake stocks, are they going to go down before the real stocks, if the real stocks ever go down, or are the fake stocks going to hang in there? That's your job, Tom. I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to how do you price fake stocks. Right. Uh, good morning, 736 in Chicago. Currently the weather is uh, 36 and cloudy. The high today will get to about 38 degrees. Phoenix listeners, uh, start our days 47 and cloudy, and I'm going to hit 60 degrees with some overcast skies. Traffic's been light uh, this holiday week. Uh, I do have one accident to report. It's on the Tri-State South, right before Archer Avenue. The three right lanes are blocked, so be careful out there. In sports, NHL Hawks game postponed second night in a row. They play Saturday night. Arizona's off until Sunday night. In the NBA, the Bulls beat Atlanta 131-117. to 117. They win their fifth in a row for the first time in four years. Suns beat the Thunder 115-97. In the NFL, the Bears take on the Giants Sunday at Soldier Field, and the Cardinals are at the Cowboys Sunday. Uh, NCAA Bowl Games, Maryland 54, Virginia Tech 10, Clemson 20, Iowa State 13, Oklahoma 47, Oregon 32. We have uh, four bowl games scheduled today, and uh, the CPI semifinals are tomorrow. Back to you, Chief. All right, so what the... A little trivia question from, from old, old guys. John, how are you? Tom, Happy New Year. I'm fine. Hey, happy New Year to you. Uh, let's be careful out there. What, yep. what, what was that line from? Let's be careful out there. Oh, let's see. <laughs> Could be a bunch of things. There's a, there's a story to it because there was a line before that that they decided they better get rid of than in this particular TV show. It was a TV show. A very groundbreaking show. Very groundbreaking. Twilight. Zone. Is it, no, was it, was it a, um, was it a, uh, cop move, cop uh, show? Yep. It was a cop show. It was, uh, Hill Street Blues. Hill Street, Hill Street Blues. Blues. When he, when he, he, yes, he got, you're right. Yeah, but the guy said never, he'd have the morning meeting and he'd say, let's be careful out there. But which one did they sort of scrub as they, as we started to get a little more politically correct? The one before that was, uh, remember, let's do it to them before they do it to us. That was like the first two or three years of the show. I knew the guy was was a, was a producer of the show, so I was I, wa- I watch it uh, whenever it's on reruns. I watch it today, a because I'm a Veronica Hamill fan, but that's another story. Uh, it was one of the first shows that uh, that that expanded the the TV technology. Everything, if you if you look at virtually every show before that, I've mentioned this before, but. If, 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 you know, whatever whatever happened to be, whether it was a cowboy, whether it was or a, a western, a cowboy, whether it was a western, whether it was a sitcom, whatever it was, there was a very narrow focus, and pretty much only one person talked at a time because the technology was 
that they didn't expect you with your you know 19 inch halfway oval black and white TV with one little speaker to be able to hear anything. But with Hill Street, it was the first time that that there was all kinds of crap going on in the background where there were people doing this and people. So there was all kinds of things to focus on in the in the on the screen versus just the main character, whoever they happen to be focusing on. And there was noise coming from everywhere. But if you, you watch it, you'll, you'll you'll pick that up right away because a lot of the new a lot of the new shows are all like that because they people know your TV's like a, you're going to a movie theater for God's sake. But it wasn't always like that. So they, but David Bochco was the guy who essentially took television into the the, the 20th century. And the show he did it with was Hill Street Blues, technically. Now, whether you liked it or not is another story. But uh, well, it's like, like a Robert Altman film, too. Because, you know, you got to look all four corners of the picture to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, of course, you, to do that, you're, you're giving your attention to, to something else. But the, the act of assembling the story from all this different, you know, the, the miking of, of different conversations and focusing on, on what you think is going on here is very real. That, that's kind of what it's like to work in a, a place like a police station. Yeah. Well, yeah, it would basically, there's this person doing that, this person talking, the door slamming. You, you would never have had that before. I mean, you, you, I mean, you, you weren't going to watch Gunsmoke or I Love Lucy and have people slamming doors in the background. No, no distractions. Yeah, no, none whatsoever. Focusing of your attention, it was considered... You know, just a waste of footage, or to, yep. to have a, an extraneous sound, or a character moving around when you didn't need movement there, and that—that's, you know, that really did change. And I—I I, I never really thought of it in those terms, but yeah, Hill Street Blues is the breakthrough, I think. Well, the, one of the movies that had—I well, can't stand the movie, but uh, <clears throat> from a technical standpoint, it brought you know, other than some of the stuff that uh, Orson Welles did early on, but uh, Clockwork Orange. When I can't oh, yeah. oh, the, the movies. Ugh. But unwatchable. Totally unwatchable, but if, if you even watch 20 minutes of it, you'll realize the camera angles and all the other stuff were, uh, they were way ahead of their time. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, but so anyway, but, but you don't, it's, it's still not. And, and half of the time you were trying to avert your eyes. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, you were trying to avert your eyes from what they were doing on the darn thing, but anyway, it's, well, so we have, uh, this year in arrears, I, uh, I, I know I've been talking, Jan, more than I should have all week about, you know, what the Fed's doing, but I, I don't, I don't expect, Really, anybody to understand or really get on this stuff like I do because they didn't go through it like I did back in the day. But I, I just, I can't. It's, it's hard for me to talk about how uneven uh, inflation affects people and what these guys are doing and how they're not giving people numbers when they're giving certain people numbers. I mean, this, this is, this is criminal. This is, this is insider trading for God's sake. To, to, to delay your money supply for a couple of days and you see the market go up and you go. Geez, what's going on here? All of a sudden, something coming out on the 23rd, they just happen to lob out on the 28th without any time for you to look for it, right? I mean, as you say, Tom, it isn't because they don't have the numbers. It's because somebody else has them in the meantime. And yeah. who those people are and why they get it first, well, you can draw your own conclusions, but it's it's complete madness and, and totally corrupt, too. I mean, but, uh, why why are people so, shame, so, so bold-faced about it? But I don't, this, in this whole story, about, this, this is the world, I mean, our, our, our late friend Bob Golden would say this is a bizarre world. In one hand, we have, we have people that you, if you, you can't walk down the street without somebody taking your picture and publishing it if you, if you happen to, you know, God help you, if you, if you stumble coming out of a bar, the thing is going to be on YouTube tomorrow, right? Or Yet, you jaywalk. Or, or you jaywalk or something. Or whatever. And at the same time, your Fed can decide to not give people numbers they've been giving them for sixty years, and nobody cares. I mean, it, 
if you if you couple these things together going on at the same time, you say, how could that even be? I mean, you, you, even this week, you have a, a, a CDC coming out and saying what a lot of us have known for a long time, or at least had the opinion of, that you don't need to be uh, once you once you get COVID, especially the, the 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 new Omicron one, you don't need to be holed up somewhere for fourteen days or ten or maybe even seven. Five. I'm, I'm a little. I think it's probably, I'm, I was stunned at the five number. I thought they'd cut it to seven, but but now they're saying, hey. Go back to work after five. You're no danger to yourself. You're asymptomatic. And all of a sudden, there's this massive pushback. Instead of people being happy, they're saying, wait a minute, I want to stay home for 14 days and get paid. No. I mean, I mean the, the, we've got, you would never have guessed, John, that, that 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 decision would be a celebration saying, hey, we're getting even back more than normal. You get it? You test positive. You feel okay? Five days, go back. I mean, you're not, you're not a threat to anybody. That, that should be uproariously good news. Yet everybody's bitching about it because they don't want to go back. <laughs> I, I think it, it shows the extent to which you know the, the whole pattern of the last two years and the way they've acculturated you know business owners and employees to you know staying on your toes about whether you're going to have to come in at all or when you you know for the next six months here's what you'll be doing to, to make all of that contingent on whatever is proclaimed as being the way things are going to be. Now it's just it's pushing back in the other direction, and I don't have any evidence for this. But I would bet that one of the reasons the CDC has backed off on this is because they're getting pressure on the fact that businesses that have already had their back to the wall for how how many months now can't get people to come in because they'd rather sit at home with a positive COVID test. And you look at the explosion of testing sites. I, there were three of them in a two-block stretch that I go past all the time on my, on my way to shop at the Walgreens or the grocery store. And these things just spring up overnight, yeah. and they've got lines out in front of them all day long. Well, now, I can't believe these people are doing this because they have nothing better to do. But if it means you get to stay home for another, you know, 14 days or whatever, and this is the only leverage you have if you're not getting a pay increase or whatever else, this way you, you can save on gas, you can save on your wardrobe. You don't have to find a babysitter. I, I, there's all sorts of things that make this a legitimate way of pushing back. But, of course, you know, a business can't operate that way, and the CDC is, is caught now in between their, their various lies about all this stuff. And now the business you know, end of things is, is pushing back, and the CDC is bending, which I, I guess is a good sign, but I don't know if people are responding in the most logical way. Oh, well, everybody's got their own agenda at this point. I mean, you know, it, it, Jan, you and I have been around... When I, when I say stuff like this, I'm not saying I agree with it or I created human nature. I didn't. <laughs> it was around long before I got here, like like maybe ten thousand, <laughs> yeah, like maybe ten or twenty thousand years. I, we we didn't create this, right? We we didn't invent sex. Somebody got us here, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, the uh, but the whole the whole idea that every, you know, I've had people say, "Well, I'm, I'm just I'm, I I can't be coming work. I'm, I'm like a work at home or something." Jen, I know I've been a, I've been a, well, we've affirmed now there's, you know, five, six people. But, uh, I mean, I've had, you know, a group of, I had as many as 12 traders trading for me on the trading floor. And I had, you know, there was 20 people working for, for my firm in those days when, when the floors were, but I know, and I, and I, I am the world's, when it comes to being a boss, I'm the world's worst boss in terms of firing people. I, I hate doing it. I just, you know, I, which is not something I, but, but I also know people's personalities, and most people aren't as nice as me, to be perfectly blunt. I know that if you're sitting at home, and all of a sudden there's ten people in the office, and and even me, I'm the boss, and I and every time 
it's not just, I guess there are people, there's a lot of people, I should say, that have, quote, their job. I mean, if you were a welder at Pullman, you were a welder. But once you get up, like, kind of in the, almost I'll say the C-suite, a lot of what you do is stuff that comes up on a daily basis, or doesn't. I mean, some days you're you're incredibly busy. There's projects going on that week, and sometimes there aren't. I, mean, I, I was always that guy. I was always the go-to guy when I worked for a regular firm. But at Pullman and at Allied Van Lines, I was the project guy. Hey, we're thinking about buying this building. Here's all the numbers. Come back to me in two weeks and tell me if it's a good idea. That was always my job. I was always the guy who had the most education and and, and was the project guy, right? And there were other people at Pullman that did that, obviously. But the... Uh, so... The, the idea that there's ten people sitting out in front of me, and every time I want to give out, you know, something something comes up, and I and somebody, you know, are you how busy are you this week, John? You know, I'm okay. Well, here, how about can you have this for me by Friday? Okay. The answer. Now, do you need to drop anything else, or are you okay? And you might say, well, you know, I'll be late on my other report that I get one day, but I can handle this for you. Well, somewhere along the line, if there's somebody at home, especially if I haven't even met the bleep, you know, because we we hired him online. And I call him up at home twice, and he hasn't answered the phone. I'm going to say, I don't even know who Joe is, but get him the hell out of here. I mean, for, for, for the person at home to not understand that dynamic and how it will come to that someday, prop, maybe, maybe not for him, depending on the firm, but that there's, there's going to be a time where somebody say, I don't even know the guy. It's a hell of a lot easier to, to bleep can somebody you never met than somebody who's sitting next to you and does everything you've asked them for, everything you asked you asked them to do for ten years, right? Well, that that's certainly a strategy that I could see, you know, feeding into the whole idea behind you know enforcing lockdowns is that it gave you know such distance between you know the, the people who do the hiring and the firing and the people who are somewhere out there in the biosphere. Well, I mean, I earning their paycheck, but you never see them and you've never met them. Um, you know, it's like the, the ultimate Marxist alienation from your job. You know, it, and it doesn't help you as an employee. It certainly doesn't help you as an employer to have that as a culture. But that that culture has really been propagated, well, and, and, and mandated. You know, if you if we keep throwing that word around, but it's been required in order to stay. Open. Janet, it has. It has. And it sort of has. I mean, I, first of all, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I think it has. But here, here's here's my piece of advice for the new year. The chief's, chief's uh, advice column, if the boss go back, goes back to work, get your ass back to work. Just saying. If he's there and you're not, <laughs> that's going to get old real fast in his mind. I'm just saying. And I'm not, and I'm not a, uh, one of those kinds of boss. Now, if you're totally in sales, you know, and they can tell how many calls you made per day, I guess in this new world you might get away with it. But by and large, if he's there, you better be there. Is that, or my way off of my show and my age? No, I, and you know that's that's if you're in a money making enterprise. The thing I'm really concerned about in the next year is what about places that have only an experience to sell, like a museum or a theater. And the only way you you know you make money is when you sell tickets to an event of some kind. And maybe there are ancillary products like T-shirts or memorabilia you can sell in the lobby for these things, or a bookstore at a museum. But by and large, the only way you can justify your existence and, and that you meet your fundraising goals is by letting the public come in and see what's there and get the word out about what a what a great experience this is to come to such a place. And how do business, so-called businesses, I mean, they're, they're businesses too, but they don't have a product and they can't really 
do anything virtual to the extent you can do in the real world by coming into this building and getting what you pay for. I just don't understand how they, they can't think that this is going to transform you know, the economy in that end of it and just bankrupt all these places. I went to the, the Newberry Library the other day, which I hadn't been to in a long time. You know, this what do you, what do you, Jan, what do you, who owns that place? Just out of curiosity. I used to park in front of it every night when I was going to the University of Chicago in the summer, but I never, I never went in. Who owns the place? Oh, it, it's private. You know, it was set up in the, the will of Walter Newberry, who was this lumber baron. Um, the building was built in 1893. It is just a you know, magnificent place. You know, I went in, I had a couple of research questions I'm trying to answer, and the only place that has the, the microfilm reels for these old journals is in Newberry. And I get home from the, my visit to the Newberry, and here's an, an email that just comes in from the Newberry saying, as of Friday, they're closing until further notice. And I thought the place looked, you know, really understaffed when I was there. There was nobody there. The bookstore was closed. But, but, do, you, but do you need to become a member? Yeah, yeah, but, you know, if you give them 50 cents, they'll give you a reader's card for a year. All they ask is for a donation, and they don't have a minimum, and you and they ask for a photo ID when you go in. And, I mean, they, they got Gutenberg Bibles there. They got really? Moore's Utopia manuscript. They got all this unbelievable stuff that they have to pay to maintain it and to protect it from theft and, you know, disfiguring and everything else. But they got an incredible art collection. They got just... Well, then you don't, you don't take... You go there and read. You don't take this stuff home, obviously. Oh, no, no, nothing circulates. You know, it's all privately held. But you can you page the stuff ahead of time. It's all done online, and they just they have the stuff waiting for you. You make an appointment. You come in, and they'll do whatever you want. You know, they'll they'll make you you know copies of stuff. They charge you for it, but it's it's reasonable. And this is some of the stuff they don't even want you to touch. You got to like you hold it. Well, if you, you want to see, if you want to see, go back to the you know Tribune in eighteen ninety. You still get that at Washington Library. You got to go to Newbury. Well, they have it at the Newberry on microfilm, and they have it on microfilm at Harold Washington Library, but newspapers.com has it, you know, digitized, and it's searchable, which it isn't on microfilm. So, I mean, there's some advantages, you know, and the Newberry has subscriptions to, you know, newspapers.com and ancestry.com, and you can do anything there that you could do with a subscription, but they have a subscription, and with your reader's card, you can get access to that stuff, too. So, I mean, it's just an amazing place. But but they can't stay open in a climate like this time. I, I'm sure they they decided, well, here's what it's costing to run it this way with these ridiculous mandates. Now they want us to enforce, you know, whether people who come in here off the street have proof of vaccination. How, how, do, you, how do you think that's going to... The idea of, of not letting a five-year-old into your restaurant, I, I can't even... That is so insane to me, I can't even go there. Oh, well, God bless the mayor of Orland Park, you know, Keith Pichal. Audrey, Audrey loves the guy. Well, you know, he put this up to, as a, for a vote to the trustees in Orland Park whether we want to be involved in enforcing Cook County's vaccine mandates, and they voted no. And that's their right to do it. I mean, yeah. these are not, first of all, they're not mandates, Tom. They're just dictates. It's what dictators yeah. do. They just say, here's the proclamation, and you've got to do it. We're not going to pay you anything extra to enforce this. We're, we're not going to ask you to, or, or give you money to hire additional cops when you should be doing well, something Audrey else. said that she was, uh, having breakfast in one of the places, and he was in there, right? Because he, uh, there's a little place that Audrey and I go, it's in, uh, actually it's in Homer Glen. Um, and they, they were, uh, they, the guy says, uh, if you make me close again, I'm gonna go under, and the guy goes, I'm not making you close. <laughs> Just turn the light off in front, we all know you're open. <laughs> But, that wasn't but, that. All right, but, but he said he was in there eating breakfast. Nobody bugged him. He was eating by himself. And when he got up, the whole place cheered. Everybody loves the guy. 
And I, have, well, I think he's running for a, people like him to stick their necks out and say the hell with this stuff. Yeah. Well, he, he everybody who had a uh, restaurant, he just said he, without he goes just be sensible. Basically, there's a parking lot. Throw up a tent uh, and, and and put some stuff out there. I don't want you going out of business. We'll worry about you know the permit and all the other stuff later. He basically said just just get to it. We're not going to you know we're not going to make this ridiculous. Put up a tent. Well, and as long as you don't, <laughs> as long as you use your head, uh, we're not going to. We just and I think he's running for uh, either rep or state senator now. Oh, uh, that could be. I don't know that. Yeah, he's um, running for something else. Uh, well, you know, he, he said, you know, in a county like Cook, where, you know, the state's attorney has decided we're, you know, we're just going to have a revolving door here. Um, the, the cops have more than have their work cut out for them. And if you think about it, Tom, do, do the police really have the ability to, you know, go in and tell your six-year-old kid, get out of here? Well, that, that's not... foster good police. See, but, uh, Jan, you're, 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 you're not missing the subtlety here. I know you wouldn't miss it, but... The, the, the subtlety is, you and I, um, if we walked into one of our favorite bars, I won't name them on the air, we walked in, it, I'm going to say we're probably not going to get carded. All right, so uh, if, if we are, the only reason why you and I show it is not because we need a beer that bad, is because we don't want the owners who we care about getting in trouble. Right. And so what they've done is is they've, they've shifted... They, you know, they've they've shifted the the blame on this. In other words, I, I'm more than willing to say to a cop, "I have no I have no desire to do this." By the way, and I'm not going to. You know, I'll I'll take that on myself, but I, but I'm not going to give. You know, the people I like at series, I'm not going to make a problem for them. So, so the, uh, you know, so in other words, what they're doing is is it's, you know, it's it's it's, it's very Nazi esque. By the way. We're not going to take it out on you. Actually, you know what it's like? It's it's like the the Mexican gangs. To be honest with you, the, the Italian gangs. You you could be a guy that says if you want to come after me, come after me. But because of, because the Italians wouldn't go after your family, the Mexicans will. It's a different program. If I'm, if I'm willing to stand up to somebody and say, okay, he might shoot me first, I might have the balls to do that. But if I know he's going to go shoot my mom, it's a different story. And I think what's happening is this. Is you're not going to be get sick with this, but some old lady's going to die because of you. You're not going to have a problem with your restaurant's going to be closed because of you. They're pretty clever with this, and I, you know what? I don't like it. Obviously, just saying. Well, the idea of shaming people or you know, threatening. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's pure out and out extortion, and that is it, it, not only not moral; it isn't legal. It's a criminal yeah. act, and yet you've got the government doing it with impunity now and and dodging. Blame for it in a way that, that you know they've, they've acculturated people to get up in arms if they see somebody without a mask or somebody you know not flashing a vaccine passport somewhere, and they have to do it. And then he, all of a sudden, it's taking attention from what's really wrong with this whole system. Instead of you know nitpicking about how you know draconian we should make enforcement, it's like let's throw the whole damn thing out the window for a change. One of the guys that are our big table on Wednesday night last night. He's, he's sitting back from the table and he's got the mask on. You know, which I don't mind, but uh, he had one of the ones where you're going to go rob a stagecoach. Those things don't do any good. At least, at least if you're going to do it, get the N95 mask, have it fitted around your nose. At least, at least do it right. If you're going to, I mean, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, it's like people going out and buying a scarf and putting. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a fashion accessory now. <laughs> hey, uh, 
Happy New Year, John. I'll see you uh, this weekend. Happy New Year uh, to you and Dave and Matt and all of your your you know participants on the show. I wish them the best for 2022. You might be called into service this weekend because a certain somebody wants to come down into the city and, and and stick me for dinner before she never comes to Chicago again because she's never showing her card. So, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs> I, whatever the end of the day is, I still get stuck for dinner, but that part's okay. It's, it's, <laughs> you know what? I enjoy it or I wouldn't do it. Anyway, we, you might be called upon for the the Last Supper, so uh, <laughs> be ready. SP Futures up 6, SP Futures up 18. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.